0: Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Nothing is really planned, but I was thinking long and hard, sometimes that's a good thing, get your minds out of the gutter or put them there, about films that really impacted me, scared me. I mean, there are films that scared the shit out of me. The Exorcist is not one of them. In a, in a weird way because I was not raised religious. It was intriguing to me, but some of it I found funny, like what she does with the cross because I knew it wasn't real. Um, or where the pea soup and all that. I thought, damn, I don't want to eat that. In fact, strangely enough, where I am at in Stockton, California... Oh, God, I just gave it away. Send me your dirty letters. Um, we used to have an inn called the Hoosier Inn. It was a restaurant that served breakfast, lunch, and dinner at any time. You could have... Di- breakfast at dinner or dinner at for breakfast. It was weird. And I remember the day before we had been watching The Exorcist and the Hoosier Inn had pea soup. I could not eat the pea soup. I kid you not. But films that scared me when I was five, I think it was five or four, I remember watching Jaws because my father had gotten it for his birthday. My mother like I remember because she was like Oh I had to look long She had to go everywhere just to find it And this is when VHS's were expensive And I remember watching it And when that little kid gets eaten That scared the shit out of me another funny thing is see here I find the the exorcist is kind of funny to me it's intriguing but funny now the omen scared the shit out of me because there's so much shit going on in the omen it's like whoa and, and it's all interconnected and I'm like oh god talk about a Ouija board gone bad in 2019 my friends and I went and saw Dr. Sleep Ewan McGregor is so good in it, but there is a scene in Dr. Sleep. If you've seen Dr. Sleep, you know what I'm talking about with the baseball player that not only scared me, it disgusted me. It literally to this day, I don't think I could watch that scene again. It was it was a scene that was so uncomfortable to watch. And yet at the same time, those are the films that sometimes you have to go back to. I still have mixed emotions when I watch Jaws when it gets to that scene with the kid getting eaten. But what goes on in Doctor Sleep? Great film, great story. But there's a scene in there where they feed off of fear. Oh, that's how I'll put it. My friends know what I'm talking about. Now I have the audiobook. I still haven't listened to all of it. I was like oh god how are they going to describe that You know what I mean And then films of realism When I was in high school We watched Schindler's List To this day I have not watched it ever again All the way through I probably will at some point That to me Is terrifying Because that is real That shit really happened Yes that's a movie you know in almost a documentary style with a narrative the little girl with the red coat but that really happened and it's it's a form of it, I can't even conceptualize what kind of fear that is because it really happened And I'm sure the actors were aware of that. That is hollow ground. You don't. In terms of. Making that film. Because. That is a testament to the survivors. Of the Holocaust. And those who didn't survive. And all of the things that they went through. Beyond. And then the pianist. I saw the pianist. I'll never forget. And Iraq and all that had just happened. 2003. That was so hard to watch. Adrian Brody is so good. It's one of those films. Where it kind of leaves you just. You're. You're speechless. And not in a good way. You. you, There are moments when you watch a film. That you can't really verbally describe what you're feeling. I would say that also about Schindler's List. Those aren't films that you have you really have to pay attention. You really every detail. Um And I'm not talking about reality TV. I'm not talking about that shit. Like documentaries about the civil rights movement. Those are tough to watch. And I have to watch them. I always encourage people to watch it. Even in film like Mississippi Burning. Or the film about Emmett Till. That's tough. But it has to be talked about. Because that happened. We cannot forget that. My nephew was asking about Emmett Till. And we had to explain it to him. Yes, that really happened. It was disgusting. It was barbaric. All because of the color of his skin. And that's why I think documentaries. I love films. Documentaries are so powerful. If you think of, like, for instance, Bowling for Columbine, what Michael Moore really put into that film—it sh- it was shocking. It it made you think. Those are the films that make you think and make you discuss. Okay, um, there. there I'm trying to think of another documentary. Um. Oh, I've only seen it once, and that is uh, "Give Me Shelter," The Rolling Stones, and "What Happened at Altamont Speedway." You can see it on screen. It is brutal. It's brutal, and I know that that still haunt. In terms of that, people have said that's when the '60s ended. And that is forever on film. Okay? So films really... Whether it's a documentary. Whether it's a feature film. They are shocking moments. And and then you have whimsical moments. Like Grey Gardens. Which is such a interesting documentary. Because originally the Maisel brothers. Albert and David Maisels. and they both rest in peace. And Little Edie and Big Edie. Originally... There was going to be a documentary about Lee Razowell and her sister, wait for it, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. And they're growing up on Long Island in East Hampton. And then the Mazels were interviewing people about Lee Razowell and Jackie Kennedy Onassis. And they come across their aunt and her mother. Little Edie and Big Edie and changed the total direction of that documentary so that the main focal points were Little Edie and Big Edie, Beal, living in this dilapidated mansion in East Hampton, New York with all these cats. And so that's why documentaries... People can say, oh, the reality TV is close, it's nowhere near close because those are unscripted moments on film. Those are there's a, those are unscripted moments. Like what I said earlier about what happened at Altamont Speedway in 1969. Nobody could have predicted you would be that you could see disturbingly two murders happening on screen at the Rolling Stones concert, okay? So there are those moments. Um, Film film has always, uh, the films that make you think, that fly too close to the sun, thank you, George, that really rub you, Those are the ones that leave their mark. A lot of Stanley Kubrick films, you really have to watch them over and over and over. Steven Spielberg once said that about... Because, you know, Spielberg was the one who took on AI when Kubrick realized he couldn't do it. So a lot of Kubrick's vision is still in the film. In fact, he was also going to do a film about the Holocaust called The Aryan Papers. Okay. Um, but Steven Spielberg said Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is an escalator ride. That says a lot about Steven Spielberg because what. <laughs> yeah. Or no, a roller coaster ride. I'm sorry. Because that says a lot. Well, on a roller coaster, you go up. And down, or you go through tunnels, and then you're scared, and then you go up, and then you're stuck, and then all of a sudden, boom. That is what the Shining did to its viewers forty-two years ago. And I that's why I talk about film. I talk about film and then music too. I was talking about this with someone. We were talking about horror films. And that's really where Black Sabbath came into the forefront of heavy metal is because Ozzy Osbourne was like well, why do people go to the movies and get scared why don't we do some music and then scare the shit out of them and that's what happened and they took it from the blues and then they also took it from a, a chord a note this isn't the actual devil's chord but it was called the devil's chord And Led Zeppelin did it and Black Sabbath did it. So that's why people kind of misinterpret Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin. It's all the way back to the blues, okay? Robert Johnson and all that other stuff. And the mystical moments of the music. I've always told people who... uh, Some people have always said, well, this is what Led Zeppelin's really about. And one time I corrected someone. They didn't like that I said this. And I said, because my friend, Kevin Klein, shout out. He said to me, I'll never forget this. We were sitting talking about Lord of the Rings, listening to Led Zeppelin in the car. And he said to me, this is about Tolkien. I said yes because if you listen to the lyrics which a lot of people don't to Led Zeppelin and listen to them closely do the tunnel vision of the music put Jimmy Page to the side right there listen closely to the lyrics read the lyric sheet they are talking about the imagery of the Lord of the Rings but a lot of people don't think about that because they want it they it, we, we uh, I've talked about this before on the show is the mythology of music the mythology of film there's a mythology to the Wizard of Oz things that happened what they intended to put on screen the same we could say about the omen, the Exorcist, There's a mythology to it. The deaths. When you're talking about these things that people can't conceptualize or uh, comprehend, things happen. When you play with forces, things happen. Be careful. You could also say that about the dreamers or Last Tango in Paris which were both directed by Bernardo Bellucci. When you when you put sex on film take porn out of the equation everyone knows about porn there's cheesy porn there's this kind of porn there's BDSM yes I'm talking about this on a film podcast okay but when you do a feature film You cannot actually show actual sex. If you do, then it has to be rated X. A film that did that was John Cameron Mitchell's Short Bus. And I can give a shout out to my friend, uh, Carlos, who really told me about Short Bus. It has a very diverse cast. And this is actual real sex so much so that they had to make it unrated okay it goes all the way back to the 1970s the 1970s was as I said this on another episode was the golden age of film the second golden age of film because in the 1970s the studio system was no longer around Because in the studio system, you could not say certain words. Like you could not, you had to have twin beds. You could not say fuck. You could not say shit, damn, hell. You could not show certain amounts of violence. And then what happened is you had films like Rosemary's Baby. You had The Godfather, Midnight Cowboy. Apocalypse Now. Okay. Carrie. The Devil's A Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange would have never been made in the studio system. But, as I said, things change. Films of the 1960s, right as the studio system died... You had films like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, okay? The usage of language. Damn, hell, goddamn. Drinking, dialogue, situations. Now, if we could really clarify what's going on between Martha and George and that young couple, they're mind-fucking. They are all playing a mind-fuck game. But in 1966 you couldn't say that oh she's mind fucking him you could not say that but in the 1970s you could and you know and, and even nudity it all changed for the I mean people would say for better or for worse and so film, film. you have the golden age, you have the second golden age. And now everything's digital. So this is a new frontier. This is a new landscape. Also, any, anyone can make a film. And that's the beauty of it. I remember always wanting to do film But then thinking, oh, I have to go to film school to make it legit. And then I remember people telling me Quentin Tarantino didn't go to film school. I thought, yeah, that's true. But he's Quentin Tarantino. And now in this digital age, with all the technology, you basically can do it yourself. Here I am recording a podcast and doing it myself and you know I want to give a shout out to Jason Almy if shit happens when you party naked because we were talking about podcasts podcasts that used to be cool you could tell people I do a podcast When I when I taught a certain grade I never would even dare say that I had a podcast because then it's like oh what do you talk about on there so I was very careful of who I told that I actually did a show. Because you have people who would hate on the show, which is fine. I've had that before. That's called jealousy. Because some people just don't have the imagination to do it themselves. They have to have someone else do it. They have to run around hoops. When this technology presented itself, I thought, oh, great. And yes, now everyone has a podcast. People always ask me, oh, you have a podcast. You talk about true crime. No. It's not that true crime doesn't interest me. Okay, it doesn't. Let's get it out of the way then. It doesn't. Why would I talk about that? It's become so over-stimulated and so when I rebranded the show I thought okay I'll talk about film and music because there's a language between the two it's, a, it's refreshing to talk to people who are open to watching foreign films I was talking about the film Another Round because the actor in it I think his name is Mad Sinclair he was in The TV show Hannibal. He was also in Casino Royale. Shout out to Shit Happens When You Party Naked. And it was refreshing to talk to someone who was like, oh, yeah, I really want to see that. Because foreign films, unfortunately, still have a stigma. The mainstream, (laughs) that's what I think of the mainstream, They don't want to see it because they say, and I quote, I don't want to read the movie because they don't want to read subtitles. Okay. Subtitles have been around since the beginning of film. Silent films had subtitles. So if you want to go back to 1920, don't go to the movies then because you had to read the film subtitles. You had piano music, you had an orchestra. So, I always tell my audience, watch foreign films. The first foreign film that actually I kind of got was Le Femme Nikita because it was all in French. The subtitles, but the, the story, the action... I remember about 21 years ago, I tried to watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And it was dubbed. And it was so horrible, it was dubbed. And I... To this day, I've never gone back and watched Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because I would prefer to watch it in the original dialogue that it's in with the subtitles, as I've talked about extensively on the show. The one film that really kind of changed my whole perception of everything was Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal, which is all in Swedish. So when I recommend it to people, I used to kind of be like, oh, do I want to recommend it? Because then they're going to say, it's a foreign film. What are you doing? Now I just I'm ballsy and I'm like, "Okay, go watch. That's your assignment. Go watch The Seventh Seal by Igmar Bergman. Film. you know, not everyone wants to go and watch certain films. I've often talked about a couple years ago, not a couple, decades ago, some people that I know who remain nameless wanted to go see There Will Be Blood. I had already seen There Will Be Blood. I loved it. I loved Daniel Day-Lewis' performance. Paul Thomas Anderson, that it just doesn't get any better than that visually. It was striking. I mean, everything about There Will Be Blood. The milkshake. Everyone knows about the milkshake. So much so that it's been parodied so many times. But when I took those who remain nameless to see There Will Be Blood, they fell asleep. And when they woke up, the film was over. And they were so pissed at me. I can't believe you took us to see that piece of shit. Hey, you wanted to go watch it. And I knew because they saw there was blood in the title. So they, they either thought it's about boxing, they thought it's about war. Oh, it's about war, all right. It's about the internal war, and oil, and greed, and what greed really does to people. And they hated it. Now, times are different. And those who probably have children now, I think would see there will be blood from a different pair of lens. Because that's also the aspect is Daniel Day-Lewis' character inherits a child at some point. And so the child becomes part of the family business. So there's that aspect. There, there, it, it is a big epic But see, that's the thing. People, people have their safe films. You know, if you want to go watch Michael Bay, Transformers blow up shit. That's fine. The other day we were watching Transformers and I was so bored and rolling my eyes and I'm thinking, but hey, the kids wanted to watch it. That's fine. But all the while in my head, I'm thinking, oh God, this piece of shit. Because that's all Michael Bay really is about, is blowing shit up and showing overly CGI fantastical shit. Yes, the Avengers could be accused of that as well, but at least with the Avengers, there's a narrative. Michael Bay doesn't believe in a narrative. He just believes in putting Shia LaBeouf in because Shia LaBeouf brings girls to the screen. I know that's sexist, but it's true. You want butts in the seats? What are you going to do? Matinee idol. A not very profitable one because look what happened to him. But I digress. (sighs) And so that draws me to people really aren't going to films now unless they are really compelled to because you can watch it in the privacy of your home and also so much of the cable shows are films themselves Succession Dexter, Dexter New Blood The Mandalorian WandaVision Disney Plus really has taken It's taken television to a cinematic universe. That's what's happening. So film... You know, it was like in the 1950s. In the 1950s... Film... Was competing with television. So what happens? You have CinemaScope. You have 3D. Now... Film is competing with television again. What are you going to do? Are you going to do Succession, the movie? A lot of great TV shows have tried. I'm going to hurt a few people here. Sex and the City was horrible on screen. It was horrible. But then again, Sex and the City, I'm going to be honest, really didn't age very well. There's a lot of sexist, homophobic xenophobic there's a lot of racism you don't see it think about it 1990s very diverse diverse time where's the diversity in sex in the city i ask you okay where where is it it's not there it's not Now, some films that have translated, or TV shows have translated well on screen, and, I'll, and I, I'm i a little biased here, yes, but seeing Downton Abbey as a movie, because it was made for a movie, you know, Gosford Park really is Downton Abbey the prequel, because Julian Fellows wrote Gosford Park, and then Gosford Park, I think it was going to be it's all interconnected and it's got Maggie Smith when you put Maggie Smith in it it's great (sighs) and she throws the best shade but I remember watching Downton Abbey on the screen with my cousin and when you hear that I said to her I turned to her and I said see don't you feel it she's like yeah when you hear that Downton Abbey theme the hairs on your arms stand up because it's like, it's really happening. They're really back. Very few television shows that are turned into movies can accomplish that. And Sex in the City could not do it for me. I saw both films, I was like, why? What's the point? Just like the and there <laughs> and just like that. My opinion of just like that is don't bring a show back and call it sex the, and and call it and just like that when really it is sex in the city minus well per, basically there is no sex if you don't have Samantha played by the brilliant Kim Cattrall you don't have sex that that's why it's called and and just like that because there's no sex Where's the sex? You don't have the sex without Samantha Jones. You don't. And I don't blame her for not wanting to come back. I really don't. The show did not age well. But, and here I'm I'm maybe a little biased again. Because I like that character of Samantha Jones. Because out of all of them, yeah, she's obsessed with sex. Okay, what's wrong with sex? She was the most down-to-earth. When Carrie... If you've seen Sex in the City, you know what I'm talking about. When Carrie walks in on Samantha, and Samantha is given a blowjob, what does she do? She shames her for it. That's, that's where the show kind of lost it for me. Wait a minute. The show is called Sex in the City... But you shamed her for giving a blowjob. Why? That's where it kind of went, okay, this isn't real to me. Because you wouldn't do that to someone. You walk in on them, oh, I'm sorry. But you don't shame them. And so, I'm team Samantha Jones. I'm team Kim Cattrall. Totally. Totally. I don't care if people think, oh, she's difficult. I don't know her. Do you know her? Okay that character of Samantha Jones think of of what she went through she had breast cancer her character she fell in love she was scared to fall in love she always felt she had to be she was in a man's world she was in public relations she she gave as she said the best PR And and she was a woman in a man's world And she rose above the occasion. She was the true feminist of sex in the city. Not Carrie. Not, not, um, what was the other one's name? Charlotte. Not Miranda. Miranda, they want to say is the feminist, but she really isn't. Because what Kim Cattrall's character was doing was she knew, okay, wait a minute. I'm in a man's field. So I got to beat them at their own game. And that not only includes job-wise, but libido. She had to beat them at their own game. And and I don't know where this went into a tirade about. And there, and just like that. And I know a lot of people like, and just like that. But my uh, my final word on this is, Sarah Jessica Parker... You and your character need to grow up. Because it's not cute anymore. Or, or, as Tatum O'Neill said in my favorite episode Carrie, they're just shoes. Okay. Or Kristen um, Johnson, or was that, yeah, from, uh, remember, she was uh, third third rock from the sun where she played that character she says new york used to be fun oh i'm so bored i could die she lights the cigarette she falls out the window and just like that it's boring so hey she's living her best life in the afterlife she checked out she checked out just like many have said that betty betty white was like she saw 2022 come in and said, Oh, fuck this. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. 99 years. Well, 100 in, in my, my opinion. Because think of the leap years. 100 years is pretty great. Where did we go from here? <laughs> I was talking about film. Well, yeah. I Okay, I know where I'm talking about. Shows like Sex and the City. The Sopranos. Six Feet Under really put cable television in a new stratosphere where it was you're basically watching cine- a cinematic universe on TV. You don't have to go to the movies. It's it's right there. Shows like Succession, Game of Thrones, these are movies. It's, these are movies, okay? So Yeah, that's um, that's the Doctor's Seuss Film Podcast. There are just certain things that align. You know, we live in a world now where you can you can basically watch the movie in the privacy of your home. Belfast, I haven't yet. You have to pay nineteen ninety nine for that. So before I leave you tonight I want to just give a shout out to Those shows that really They put they make it cinematic for you I mean it's an hour long Orange is the New Black Remember that? I remember one night binging This is in 2014 Orange is the New Black and I went from was it 8pm or 9pm till 4 in the morning and I think I was on the 5th episode so time really does fly when you watch these shows when you try to binge them or like The Witcher I refuse to binge The Witcher because I want to enjoy it I want to let it marinate like a good film let it marinate And plus, I've said this before, and I'll say it again: Henry Cavill will, really doesn't need to play Superman anymore. He he's the Witcher. He looks better as the Witcher. I'm I'm gonna be completely honest. It's like Tom Tom Handy or Tom Tom Handy. <laughs> Where is my brain right now? Um, Tom Hardy. Handy Hardy, Tom Hardy. He could just play Venom, and I'm and I'm happy. He's good. You you find your niche and then you got to build it up. You got to keep the butts in the seats as I've said. You've got to keep, you know, here we are now. Entertain us. Yeah. We're going to talk about that sometime this week because next week is the 30th anniversary of a pivotal moment in music in alternative rock. When the mainstream... You know, everyone's always trying to get to that mainstream. Oh, when I get played on pop radio, that's it. I'm buying the the sports car. I'm going to move to Hollywood. I'm going to win all those Grammys. Everyone's going to love me. That's when a band from Aberdeen, Washington... Yes, they played in the Seattle scene, but they were originally from Aberdeen. Called Nirvana built up their fan base and then put out Nevermind. And on January 11th, 1992, 30 years ago, they displaced Michael Jackson from the number one spot. As their engineer and producer said of the first album, Bleach, that was very big that this little band from Seattle just displaced the king of pop on the billboard charts as the number one album. That was the weekend they played Saturday Night Live, and they were number one. That forever changed rock radio. It changed how you could sound. It changed, as Springsteen said, it changed the rules of the game in terms of how you could write. Kurt Cobain was not a a linear songwriter. It was about melody, it was about making these songs memorable, simple, basically. And so we'll talk about that at some point. Because that's a that's a major moment. It doesn't matter. Okay, yeah, they went to number one, but the fact the impact that it had that all of a sudden pop music was irrelevant. It was irrelevant hair metal was irrelevant goodbye guns and roses or as i call them guns and moses welcome to the jungle you just got beat by nirvana and then metallica and everyone i mean the music got harder like soundgarden alice in chains it opened the door this is also the 30th anniversary in july well i'm gonna do a big show for that for ministries psalm 69 I love ministry. I truly do. There's a cinematic aspect to ministry. The music, the editing, the music videos, the stage, the show, Al Jorgensen, Nita More. So that's the Doctor Who's Phone podcast for tonight. Shit that is shocking basically. How much this medium has changed. And how now you can just stream it. You can stream it on your phone. Maybe one day the watch. That, that would really put a crank in my neck. Let me let me stream this movie on my watch. You can watch video clips on an Apple Watch. But a whole movie? No. That would really give Spielberg a coronary. Wouldn't it? Oops. I did it again. You know he didn't like that movies were being put on these small screens. I guess now he's he's changed his tune. Uh, you know people are always kind of scared of change especially when it comes to art when it comes to this art in this medium that we're all used to it scares the shit out of people it truly does just like sex scares people Carrie Bradshaw Charlotte York what was her other name? McDougal and then Miranda Hobbs this is vindication for Kim Cattrall oh god I love that character Samantha Jones for her sex was cinematic my favorite is she moves to this new loft in the meat packing district very uh, appropriate we love to pack meat we all do and she wakes up one morning and she's sick And she needs help with something. So she calls a man. And she says, please, honey, I can barely blow my nose, let alone blow you. (laughs) See what I mean? She had the best moments. They had like a moment where they went back in time to when they were all in the 80s, I think. And she had this couch and she says, if she fucks on that couch, she buys it. Samantha Jones she wanted that fit I think it was a bag she wanted this really expensive bag and she lied to get it good PR or how you look at it she was the only one of the cast also to explore things she explored her sexuality she dated a woman she dated a a sex toy a vibrator There is a realism to to Samantha Jones that the other three just don't inhabit. And so I think that's why, you know, a lot of, well, people are are kind of threatened by, you know, uh, Kim Cattrall. She brought the realism to Sex and the City. You don't have sex in the city. You don't have the sex without Samantha Jones or the realism. You don't even have the city without Samantha Jones, to be honest with you. Because she brought it in the city. She brought it all right. You cannot have, you if you want PR, you've got to have it in the city. Without that PR, you don't have Samantha Jones, do you? And just like that, which is such a stupid title. Stupid, stupid, stupid. And if you're offended by that, that's fine. This is my opinion. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. But isn't that Dexter finale going to be great? Dexter, New Blood. And I'll end with that because that is a rarity. That you can bring a show back and it's even better than ever. Breaking Bad, same thing. Cinematic aspects. When the television is more cinematic than the movies, you've eaten unpleasant dreams.